Guten Tag, everybody. Welcome to Hybrid Theory, a podcast dedicated to bringing science, cinematic style, and fast action to your tabletop role-playing experience. Hey, everybody. This is Hugh Wright Johansson. Thanks for tuning in to the Hybrid Theory podcast. Today, we'll be kind of closing out our podcasting season. We'll do a couple of things in this episode. The first thing we'll do is we're going to go ahead and do a real quick recap and discuss what worked and what didn't work in my hybridizing 5e series after that we'll switch gears and i'm going to discuss topics for next season which i will start recording over the holiday break and publishing in january of 2022 so let's go ahead sit back relax and let's get started well, we're going to start this episode off by talking about the four primary hybrid to the 5th E game that I'm running. Basically, if you go back and look at the listen to the episodes over the season, it can be broken down into five different categories. So the five main things that we implemented from hybrid this year were the following. We implemented the hybrid action economy, the hybrid psionics rules, magicless weapon damage, maximum hit points for characters, and, of course, the ETA gaming engine. With those five different implementations, we had a lot of successes. So let's go ahead and get started and talk about the first of these, the action economy. This includes the concepts of the disengage action and the attacks of opportunity. Now, basically what I had said I was going to do is because the fifth edition and hybrid action economies can be interchanged, I did that. And so what I did is I used the action economy from the hybrid game. However, uh, the action economy from fifth edition acted as a subset of that hybrid action economy. So those players that only knew the action economy that they were familiar with were allowed to use it. And those that were used to the hybrid action economy used that one. So I had seven players, six of them knew the D&D action economy, one of them knew the hybrid action economy. And I had one or two players where several occasions when they wanted to do something and they were limited by the action economy, what I would do is I would let I would tell them they can go ahead and do this, they can do that, and I would keep the hybrid action economy hidden from them. Uh, the funny thing was that the one player who knew the hybrid action economy recognized it right away. This actually worked really, really well. Uh, one of the characters that was familiar with the Dungeons and Dragons 5e action economy was playing a monk. And one of the abilities of his monk was the concept of getting the free disengage action without having to take action to do that. and. Th- and avoiding the attacks of opportunity. And there were a number of times where he said, well, I know you're not going to take an action, uh, you know, an attack of opportunity, so I'm going to do it. And I said, that's fine. doesn't matter to me. Even during that, and we even would quip about it back and forth. But the overall results of this was that they flowed, the action scenes flowed very smoothly. And so the action economy worked very, very successfully. And over this next year, I'm going to continue to do that. And what I'm going to do is when characters get stifled by the fifth E economy, I'm going to say, well, you have a hybrid type action economy option. You can do this instead. And then slowly what we'll do is we'll explore the hybrid action economy with the players without jamming it down their throats and see if anyone else uh, decides to take to it. The second thing that we implemented was magicless weapon damage. Now, the way that we implemented this was that we had a character who found a sword, and this sword had a magical black powder on it. And when you had the magical black powder on it, every time it attacked, it did magicless weapon damage. And so what that did is because it was an anti-magical weapon, any creature that had a magical abilities, it was allowed to hit. And that worked really, really well when the character hit with it. 
The problem was the character was a Hexblade. And so what ended up happening is he preferred his Hexblade weapon over that weapon. And whenever he went to use that weapon, his chances of hitting were very, very small. Whereas when he was using his Hexblade weapon, his chances of hitting and doing just as much damage were very, very high. So what ended up happening is the few times he used it, he, I think he hit maybe three or four times in the entire year. Uh, but when he did, it was quite devastating and he was really happy with it. But there was a trade-off because it wasn't his best weapon. So now what we're going to do over the year is we're going to be moving forward with our adventure. And I plan on introducing more of these magicless weapons that will be used by one of the gangs within are playing within the city of Waterdeep, in which we're playing. The next thing was Psionics. Now, Psionics, I implemented it through three non-player characters because none of the players was interested in playing it because it was too foreign to them. They felt like it was going out of genre. A very familiar sentiment among many of the D&D world. A number of people of my friends that play 5e think that Psionics destroys the overall 5e system in the way that it's implemented in Unearthed Arcana, Xanathar's Guide, and things like that. Now, I tend to agree, which is why I think it was a poor implementation. It's why I implemented the hybrid Psionics in the first place. That all being said, these Psionic NPCs use their abilities to great effect, but the PCs never knew it because they were not in an antagonistic relationship with these NPCs. It was more of a, a informational aspect. So the psionic NPCs gained all the information they wanted to about the players. But of course, psionics are invisible to those they are used upon. So they had no idea that was going on. So you can't really tell it worked. We'll find out it worked when we bring them back and their knowledge has an effect on the story. So over this next year, what we'll do is we'll take those few scenes where they had with the Brigidunia people with their psionics and we'll bring it back around to the players and show what happens when you don't know that you've been psionically bamboozled. The next thing is maximum hit points. Now this worked extremely well. A lot of the players liked this because what it allowed them to do is just say, okay, hit die plus con bonus done. We did not do the constitution times hit die type because none of the players are at sixth level and that's where the, the break point is for implementing that system. They're all at fifth level now. When they hit sixth level, this coming year as we play, then I will allow them the option, the heroic option of taking their hit die type and just multiplying it times their con and kicking it up a notch. That will become especially important when they hit eighth or ninth level because that's when you start hitting the sweet spot and those extra hit points will matter. So we implemented the maximum hit die and the players liked it because they could focus on all their cool new abilities, picking their new spells and things like that. And they really liked that because, okay, max hit points, whatever, next thing. And they got to spend more time talking to each other, chatting each other about what powers they should pick so they can work with one another during action scenes. Uh, this means that next year we will implement the heroic damage when they hit sixth level and we'll allow them that option. So that's how it worked this year, what we did, and what we'll do next year. Finally, Ite. Ite was a huge success. All the characters got 10 points of lifetime Ite. Uh, towards the end of the year, they've actually started using that because the campaign has gotten tougher. But uh, the use of floating Ite and the awarding of floating Ite at the beginning of the game sessions uh, made it a lot less lethal and made the players a lot more happy. Um, if you'll remember, there are three ways you can use Ite. You can either use it as cutscene healing, you can use it to kick successes up or down a notch, or you can use it 
to make things happen. By far, the number one use of Ite was cutscene healing. Probably about two, three months ago, the players finally started using it to kick things up a notch when they started failing savings throws. Again, the campaign has been getting tougher, and so as the campaign's been getting tougher, the consequences of failing savings throw become more and more pronounced. And so they started using Ite and sharing their Ite and using collaborative Ite to make those attacks make those savings throws they failed or to make critical successes that were launched against them into regular successes and things like that. So over the year, the cutscene healing and the kick it up and kick it down a notch happen way more than the make it happen. So over the next year, we'll continue to use the ETA gaming engine. We'll continue to use the collaborative ETA and we'll see if we can make a little bit of a shift towards making it happen. I can coach them a little bit towards that, and we'll see where that goes. But I don't think a lot of coaching will be required because a lot of this has grown organically, and they've come to really appreciate. So the ETA Gaming Engine is here to stay. So those are the five things that we talked about on the podcast this year. This is kind of how they worked during the implementations, what we'll be doing for the next year. So let's go ahead and let's go ahead and shift this podcast's focus and talk about what I will be talking about in this podcast over the next year. Well, now we've talked about the past. Let's talk about the future. For the following year, I'm going to have two different types of episodes. I'm going to continue the Hybridizing 5e series, but what I'm going to do is change its focus over to the director side. And the other episode, I'm going to Scienceizing Hybrid or hybridizing science. I haven't figured out what I'm gonna call those ones yet, but basically what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take the theories used in creating the hybrid system that were based on the hard sciences and go into a couple of episodes and how you can increase the level of immersion in your campaign by using the concepts of science without all the mathematical difficulties. So for the hybridizing 5e series, we're going to talk about the following topics. We're gonna to discuss managing exposition and action scenes. And that will entail a couple of episodes. We'll have to break that over a couple of episodes. We'll talk about using description in the three cents rule. We'll use the 10 second rule that we use during action scenes, as well as the rule of initiative phases. We'll also talk about action values and how action values, which is a concept in a hybrid, can speed up the way that you manage character actions during action scenes in your fifth edition game. We'll also discuss the concept of the three round combat scene or three N plus one. Then we'll talk about hits versus hit points. This kind of goes along with the three round combat scene. And these are techniques you can use for groups where you have more than four players at the table. When your speed is a concern for action resolution or you have characters that prefer story-based games versus tactical-based games. Finally, what we'll do is we'll discuss, we'll do another extension of hybrid weapon damage like we did this year, but we'll expand on the concept of the magicless weapon damage that we discussed previously and figure out ways to implement that in other occasions in your 5th edition game. Then what we'll do is we'll talk about handling task roles for players. There's a couple of methodologies that I'll discuss, specifically setting difficulty ratings for tasks and flare bonuses, which is something that is not done in 5th edition uh, in the core rules, but is something that is endemic and integrated in with the hybrid rules, and there are ways for uh, creating excitement at the table. Then what we'll do is we'll talk a little bit about character creation and things you can do during the character creation to speed things up. And specifically what we'll do is we'll talk about managing equipment for characters, 
and the theater of operations or managing the past of a character. So those are the things in the hybridizing 5E series we're going to talk about on the hybridizing science or scienceizing hybrid or however we're going to call those episodes. What we'll do is the first two topics, the first one we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the mass scale. Hybrid does everything with a mass scale that it hides from the players. However, the directors can use it to as a tool to uh, ensure that there is immersion and that scale can create drama within the game. Uh, the other topic that we're going to discuss is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and that is herbalism and poison and chemistry and alchemy. Now, that's a big topic, but I consider them all the same, and I'm going to lump them under the term pharmacy as clinical pharmacists do. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to describe some concepts of the pharmacy world in non-mathematical terms and how they can be used in your own game to simplify things. So we'll take the concepts of science, but use them to simplify your 5e game. So stay tuned, everyone. And I look forward to talking with you over the following year. Have a great winter season. Enjoy your time with your family. And have a great day. Keep on gaming.